0: one of our older children to ask the question, um, Dad, am I, uh, as a black, white girl, half oppressed, half oppressor? There's actually one human race. It's uh, it's the Adamic race. And then moreover, most importantly, not only are we all fallen in Adam, in Christ, the new man,
1: there is one chosen race this uh, uptake and uh, rise in critical race theory is another moment of God's common grace to the church uh, where he's encouraging the church to be the church, which is not to embrace a theory like this or to find a compromise with a theory like this, but as you say, to destroy the arguments of a theory like this, but also provide a better story about race a better articulation of it in the Lord Jesus. Welcome to The Afterword, a conversation about books, reading, and the church, a podcast by Westminster Bookstore. Uh, I'm your host, Johnny Gibson, and today I'm joined by Timothy Brindle. Uh, Timothy is a pastor at Olive Street Presbyterian Church here in the Philadelphia area, and also a PhD candidate here at Westminster Theological Seminary under a crazy Northern Irish professor. And uh, he's also working for the stewardship office here at Westminster as well. He's married to Floriana. Uh, They have nine children, uh, one of whom lives with God, the beautiful Johanna. Uh, Now you've eight children, Timothy, uh, at home with you. Uh, The question i have is how do you get around do you own one of those little yellow school buses or something we do
0: have what we call the brindle bus it's simply a 12 passenger van a ford e350 that the lord provided we're grateful we actually have two open seats if anyone needs a ride
1: (laughs) so still room to expand the family if the lord is pleased to do so um where do you buy your food or I should maybe ask which food store do you keep in business?
0: We have um, been buying our meat and dairy from a local farmer, actually an Amish man, um, good friend of ours. We also have a flock of chickens, a dozen chickens. We get a dozen eggs a day. They're also meat birds. We um, they can be eaten as well Uh and we've been growing food. And so when I took the call, Um, to pastor at Olive Street Presbyterian Church, it not only was a blessing to go and serve with the other minister, John Orlando, wonderful church, but also it allowed us to um, purchase a property with an acre of land and begin to do a bit of homesteading. We're still beginners, but trying to um, live off the land as much as possible. And of course, there's Aldi um, and Giant and some other uh, food stores. So Yes, we, yeah. we we eat plenty
1: of food. And with eight, eight children, you've got enough laborers there to sort, sort the farm for you.
0: Exactly. <laughs> Sometimes I have to remember not to just sit around and have them
1: do all the work. Yeah, very good. But they are very helpful and wonderful. Yeah, great. So your house must be full of noise, but you're used to that because you're also a hip-hop artist. Uh, when did you get into hip-hop?
0: Jonathan, do you think hip-hop is noisy? <laughs> Um, Great question. Yes. I got into hip-hop growing up as a kid. Um, Growing up in urban Pittsburgh, I was immersed into hip-hop culture and began to uh, write lyrics and perform or rap um, in high school as a non-Christian. The Lord used that to bring me to Philadelphia. I wanted to be a part of the underground uh, hip-hop scene in Philly. So after um, kind of having a foundation in high school and um, making a name for myself, mm-hmm. think Babel. Seriously, we'll get to that. Um, I came to Philly, was a part of an underground hip-hop group. Um, we put out records, literal 12-inch vinyls. This was mm-hmm. late 90s, early 2000s. Um, opened up for some big names, uh, won several battle tournaments, Uh, And then the Lord arrested me with his grace Hmm. a week before 9-11. At that point, I thought I needed to stop rapping, Hmm. stop doing hip-hop. But the Lord was gracious to show me hip-hop can be used, like um, other musical genres, to glorify Christ. And it's actually quite ideal because it's so Mm word-based. You can pack a ton of content into a hip-hop song. And with three verses, it can be like a three-point sermon with your main point being the chorus. Uh, So now um, since 2001, when the Lord saved me, been using hip hop to teach reform theology, and especially coming to Westminster 11 years ago to teach biblical theology, something that Johnny and I love, you and I both.
1: And uh, you're probably best known for the Head Crusher song and the album that that's on, which I would recommend people to look up. Is Is that on Spotify? Yes, uh
0: so The Head Crusher is on the unfolding album a project greatly um inspired by my studies here at Westminster and the MDiv and THM and now PhD with you. Um and it you can be found on Spotify. That's right. Or yeah. com. It's um it has an album and a book as yeah. well
1: that that goes with it. Okay. It's what's utterly unique about it is that you're rapping Greek words and uh, Hebrew words uh, in the English text of your song as well. It's amazing. Uh, now, that's not the only rapping you've done. You also helped me when I was stuck with a book project for children and you, Growth Press, and I were working on something which was originally an ABC book for kids to educate them about God, Jesus, salvation, using the alphabet, A to Z, or A to Z, as you say here. And uh, I thought I need somebody to make this content better, And uh, so I chatted with you and you very kindly offered to help. So we've co-authored the Acrostic uh, Theology for Kids series, uh, which I have here, Um, the Acrostic of God, the Acrostic of Jesus, and the Acrostic of Salvation. Uh, We have the Acrostic of Scripture coming out next year, and then, Lord willing, a fifth and final one, the Acrostic of Church. And each of them is the idea of like a mini-systematic theology, A rhyming theology, a rhyming Christology, a rhyming soteriology, a rhyming biblical theology, and a rhyming ecclesiology. That's right. Uh, So tell us a wee bit about what you've done in these books. Johnny,
0: it's been a great joy to participate with you uh, in the acrostic series to put these glorious truths of the Lord, um, of Christ, his salvation, uh, the unfolding story of scripture and the church into rhyme. Uh, to use the alphabet uh, as a teaching tool for kids. And our wee little secret um, is that it's actually for the parents. (laughs) Um, But yes, for families to grasp these glorious truths um, in as simple and yet non-watered down way as possible. And so um, the Lord, he uses acrostic in scripture. He also uses rhyme and other Mm -hmm. um, aspects of poetry, doesn't he? Um, And so it's been a blessing to make use of those as teaching tools uh, for the sake of um, making disciples, which my wife and I love making disciples. Yes.
1: And uh, I think you and I use them fairly similarly. We, in our evening devotions with our families, we take a, a letter a night or two or three and we read it out. We read the rhyme out. We read the Bible verses that go with it and then talk about the particular attribute of God or the doctrine of salvation that we're looking at. Uh, So that's how it can be used. Um, Now, I uh, didn't bring you on to talk about your hip-hop work, as interesting as that is. I wanted to interview you for this episode of The Afterword to talk about race. It's a very hot topic in America at the moment, uh, but it's also a very real issue for yourself and your family um, because you're married to Floriana, who's from an African ethnicity. She's from Angola. Um, You're from European ethnicity, brought up in Philadelphia. So the secular world would look at you and describe your marriage as a mixed race marriage. And you have uh, nine children, eight at home, and uh, all mixed race in inverted commas as the secular culture would refer uh, to your kids. So talk to me a bit about that terminology. You know, we talk about white and black uh, that's how it is often spoken about. Uh, are you comfortable with those kinds of terms? Thank you,
0: Donnie, for asking. Um, what's really interesting is in the last two years, I would say it was especially um, with the tragic death of George Floyd that our children began to ask my wife and I questions that really caused Flo and I, Flo is Floriana's nickname, mm-hmm. um, to try to think more deeply and try to think more biblically about who we are uh, in terms of ethnicity or race. Uh, And it drove us to the scriptures. Um, When critical race theory in particular um, really got more popular um, in a a mainstream way, it caused, uh, for instance, one of our older children to ask the question, um, Dad, am I... Uh, as a black, white girl, half-oppressed, half-oppressor. And what she was putting her finger on was critical race theory, uh, is, which is a cultural Marxist theory. It, it divides people up as oppressed or oppressor, and it labels you as that based on race. Um, and so that caused us to have to, to wrestle with these truths, and at the end of the day, we were able to go back to the Lord and to his word, have our minds renewed and see there's actually one human race. There's actually one human race. It's, uh, it's the Adamic race. And all of us have various amounts of melanin. And so um, the way that Darwinian evolution and other uh, philosophers hundreds of years back have categorized people based on skin color and almost made it out that we're different species or actually have made it out that there mm. are different or more favored species. The scriptures destroy this notion. And then moreover, most importantly, not only are, are we all fallen in Adam in Christ, the new man, mm. there is one chosen race. Uh, and so first Peter two nine, isn't it interesting? Peter is quoting Isaiah forty three twenty from the Greek Old Testament, you are a chosen race, a chosen people. And he's speaking to the primarily Gentile, some Jew um, church there in First Peter. And he's making clear in Christ, we are his new humanity. And so it's been a blessing to instruct our children um, and for Floriana and I to rejoice in our identity in Christ, in the new man, um, no longer a part of the condemned, enslaved to sin, Adamic race, now a part of Christ's new humanity consisting of people from every tribal clan, nation, land, and language. So it has, um, the Lord has used the false teaching, as he always does in church history, to help clarify the truth of his word mm. in the gospel.
1: So do you think that uh, the whole category of races and, and that kind of terminology is fundamentally unbiblical.
0: I do, and isn't it interesting that when Peter uses this word "genos," you are a chosen genos, quoting Isaiah forty three twenty from the Greek Old Testament. "Genos" it's used several times in the Book of Genesis, but it's used for the various kinds of species or the different uh, trees. Animals, fish, and creatures, but it isn't used in that way for humans. Mm. In fact, the Lord says, What kind of uh, creature are humans? We're godlike, we're image of God. And the only primary distinction is male and female, mm. which also is being attacked. And critical race theory mm-hmm. is a part of the bigger critical theory and intersectionality umbrella. Uh, that is ultimately trying to bring in the LGBTQ agenda. Mm-hmm. But then we don't see genos used for humans in the Greek Old Testament until Genesis eleven six, 6, when the Lord comes down and he's, he looks at those at Babel who all speak the same language and he says, behold, they are one genos, one race, and they speak the same language. And then he disperses them mm. into various uh, tribal clans, nations, lands and languages and isn't it interesting that in genesis 10 johnny mm-hmm. skin color is not mentioned okay. as one of the defining distinctions of humans obviously the lord made uh, us to have various amounts of melanin different physical features are characteristic uh, for the different people groups from the sons of Jepheth, the sons of ham and the sons of shem um, but it is obviously not such an important distinction to the Lord that he does not mention that mm. as one of the categories for people mm. groups mm. and these people group categories, we find it in Genesis ten five from the coastland peoples. That's the sons of Japheth lands, language, clans and nations. And we find it again uh, in, uh, in the section on, on ham and Shem. These are the categories that are used all throughout scripture. We find them in Daniel, uh, and then we find them in Revelation 5, 9 and 7, 9 for the one new humanity that Christ has brought back to himself mm. in his gathering back the scattered nations at Babel. So, Johnny, biblical theology and what we um, learn in your class here at mm. Westminster, it gives us everything we need for these discussions, I, I would argue.
1: Yeah, so it sounds like beginning with Adam is most helpful, That's obviously. Right. He's the the uh, alpha Uh, of the human race I always find it interesting in Genesis 126 um, it says in the beginning God made man Uh, God said let us make man in our image Uh, male and female he made them Uh, and uh, let us make him and it's Mm -hmm. a singular in the Hebrew Mm -hmm. and let me just get the text so I'm quoting it correctly god made man in his image in the image in the image of god he created him male and female he created them the niv i'm reading the esv the niv says so god created humankind mankind in his own image in the image of god he created them male and female he created them but that misses actually what's going on in the hebrew that it is a singular Uh, Third masculine, singular, pronominal suffix. Humankind is first and fundamentally not a diversity, but a unity. It is first a him, a a mankind entity, before it is a male and female entity. And then you could subdivide again into the the various genos, uh, into the various nations, tribes, ethnicities. But fundamentally, it's actually just one mankind.
0: That's so helpful, Johnny. And this is how we must uh, teach our sheep at church. This is how we must instruct our children. Uh, And my wife and I, we've taken a step back and realized, for instance, my grandparents, uh, my grandmother uh, was Irish from the Republic of Ireland in Mm. Cork. So from Egypt, not from the promised land. Uh (laughs) Yeah, right. And my uh, grandfather was from Poland. Mm. This is... Uh, as multi-ethnic with biblical terminology, as multi-ethnic a marriage as my wife and I. Mm. Um, you could say there's various degrees of se- of um, you know separation because my wife is from a different continent, uh, and, and my ancestors are from Europe. Um, and yet, isn't it interesting? That's only relative because um, Africans who descended from the sons of Ham. Mm-hmm. And Europeans who descended from the sons of Japheth, they had the same father, Noah, mm-hmm. and they can all be traced back to Adam. Mm. And so it's only relative. Uh, and so, yes, we cannot allow the world, and Johnny, this is what I love about some of your material that you've allowed me to lecture when you've been out of the country, pa- um, training pastors overseas. We cannot allow the world to dictate the terms for the discussion mm. because then we are, uh, we're forfeiting we are, um, we're bowing out, we're compromising, and we're, we're being a false witness uh, to, the, to what the Lord's truth says. Mm. I wanna encourage Christians, when it comes to the topic of race, we're told nowadays only certain people with various shades of melanin or only certain races,
1: mm-hmm.
0: people of color mm. are allowed to discuss race.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Actually, if you have the Holy Spirit, you have insight into God's interpretation of humanity, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: God's interpretation of humans. And if you're an unbeliever, you're the foolish person who can't understand the things of God. Mm -hmm. Um, And so isn't it ridiculous, even the people of color concept, because we're all people of color. We all have uh, melanin in various amounts. And so it's time for us to undo the Darwinian evolution Mm-hmm. Uh, that even has many commonalities with critical race theory, dividing people up into racial categories, oftentimes based on skin color, and labeling them and being partial um, uh, to them based on those categories.
1: Yeah, and you were telling me earlier uh, in this conversation about your daughter who said, "Am I, I, I'm black and I'm white. Am I, uh, I'm oppressed and I'm the oppressor. And so she comes away with sort of a divided psychology of who is she based on critical race theory.
0: Yes. And um, we actually have been encouraging our children, uh, and I encourage God's people, to rethink even using the terminology of black and white. Mm. Because, again, these are not biblical categories. Um, I'll never forget one of our uh, kids when they were much younger said, Dad, why do people call mommy black when she's actually brown (laughs) and why do people call you white when you're actually peach and when you're mad you're red (laughs) and why would people call me um, if if you're black and white am i gray i'm not gray i'm tan Hmm. and so kids have really helped us rethink these Mm -hmm. things um but yes critical race theory so as karl marx um divided up um, people into oppressed and oppressor um, based on those who have and those who, who have not um, in, in terms of the society of his time. Um, the, the, the students of Marx have taken that concept and applied it to race and uh, critical race theory. It assumes racism. Hmm. Some of the top critical race theorists make the point we don't ask is there racism we assume it exists and rather we ask how is it manifesting itself Hmm. moreover it claims society is set up to block people of color from moving forward and therefore society is set up to grant white privilege now when we answer a fool according to their folly even with their categories and we look carefully uh does american society block people of color from moving forward well historically it has and that's one of the things that critical race theory likes to take uh for in leverage use for its advantage is is history this is what shelby steele calls poetic truth where you take something that was true in the past and you overlay it to the present Mm. to try to make claims but also even based on their own categories johnny are people of color truly blocked from moving forward? I find it striking that in 2018, Indian Americans who are labeled people of color made uh, over $120,000 a year, $123,000 per year on average, compared to uh, the, the average American uh, at this time, made 62000 White Americans, about 66,000. Moreover, Korean Americans have outdone white Americans financially. Mm -hmm. Well, you're not getting to the real issue, Tim, because we know the real oppressed people of color are black people. Mm -hmm. And again, what critical race theory will do is it looks at these disparities and it tries to explain them as racism. Mm -hmm. Because there's not equal outcome, it must be racism. Mm. And they've redefined justice to mean uh, there must be equal outcome as opposed to equal opportunity. But isn't it interesting that Nigerian Americans, and there are hundreds of thousands of Nigerian Americans, Mm. actually have had a higher income per year than those labeled white Americans. Mm. And at the end of the day, an economist named Thomas Sowell makes the point, any racial class Any people group, any demographic that pursues education, that especially has an intact family, a husband and wife, um, mother and father, um, and is diligent to work, is successful. Mm. And that's true across the board. Mm. And so, even on critical race theory's own grounds, the theory is false. Mm. Not to mention, biblically, Johnny, we must reject it. Because it it's a gospel issue. It brings about racial indictment, racial guilt, when, as we discussed, with Adam's sin, the only real racial guilt, biblically speaking, is adamic guilt.
1: Mm.
0: The sin of Adam, the guilt of Adam imputed to all humanity. But in Christ, the righteousness of Christ is now imputed to us. Mm. And so it's a gospel issue. I can talk more on that, um, but I wanted to see any other thoughts or questions before moving forward.
1: Well, one of the things that struck me about what you're saying there is earlier you mentioned that if you're not black, in inverted commas, you can't speak about race, right. or if you're not white, you can't speak about it. Um, uh, I, I wonder if that also creeps in in the church, even in the whole issue of egalitarianism, men mm-hmm. and women's roles in the church. Yes. It's become more common now, even in evangelical churches, to say, well, when we come to speak about wives submitting to their husbands, let's have a woman come and teach on that aspect. Even in some conservative evangelical churches denominations, they'll say, well, let's have a women's meeting where the women can speak about that because a man wouldn't know what it's like to submit uh, in a marriage. And so only the wife could teach on that. And I often respond to that kind of argument by saying, so do you think when Peter was writing first Peter three, he handed his pen to his wife and said, here, you write this wee bit about submitting to husbands. Cause I wouldn't know what that's like. And the same goes for Paul, you know, he's not married. And yet in Ephesians five, he gives the roles for men and women and tells them how right. they ought to relate in marriage. Uh, and I think that's another way that maybe the sort of uh, subtleties of critical race theory actually infiltrate the church, even in the roles of men and women. What, what you can and cannot say and who can say it and who can't say it. What do you think of that?
0: Johnny, great point. I would like to hear what does the man, the God-man, Christ Jesus, have to say about marriage, <laughs> our creator? Um, and so let's listen uh, to what he says which is what Paul and Peter are saying, speaking his words. Great point, Johnny. And that's because um, this idea of critical race theory, it's attached to critical theory. Critical race theory focuses on the race aspect, but it's a part of the whole package Mm. of critical social justice or critical theory, and it is related to intersectionality. Mm -hmm. Um, as, as Kimberly Crenshaw, um, helped to establish. And so Johnny, it's, it's an entire package. And so with these ideas of oppressed oppressor, it isn't just tied to race. According to the, to the critical theorist, it's tied to gender. Mm -hmm. And again, poetic truth. Many women have been abused by men. Mm -hmm. Many men have abused their roles as God appointed leaders, Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean uh, that the Lord's design for men to lead as fathers and husbands and pastors in a woman's design uh, to, to follow and to be an ezer, a helper, also a title used for the Lord as mm-hmm. the helper of his people, glorious title. It doesn't mean that it's flawed and it needs to be changed. Um, and also, it doesn't mean that every man oppresses woman. And that every woman is oppressed, but the critical theory will say that. And again, they're using the same, Mm. not only for male and female and and husband and wife and so on, uh, but it's another way to bring in the LGBTQ Mm. agenda. Mm. And ultimately, get this, critical theory not only looks at white males who are heterosexual as oppressors, but who else is an oppressor? Christians. And ultimately, this is from the enemy. It's from the serpent. Mm. And it's it, it must be rejected. It's a philosophy not according to Christ. Colossians 2 8. Paul, when he talks about various things that are challenging the knowledge of Christ in 2 Corinthians 10, does he say Christianize it? Does he say come up with a third way for it? No, he says these arguments must be destroyed. Mm. And we have spiritual power, divine power, the word. Mm. To do so. And so, yes, I, I think it's a great point. People will use the critical theory to also bring in um, issues for egalitarianism, issues for the LGBTQ agenda, and then ultimately to uh, label Christians as oppressors.
1: Yeah, you see it in um, the church today with same-sex attraction. It's sort of like this victim group. That's right. uh, they're oppressed and uh, they sort of need to be liberated, Uh, So you see it even sort of creeping in in that respect as well. Um, I think a quote by, uh, a quote, uh, a comment by Abraham Kuypers coming to my mind as you're speaking, uh, where he said that the secularization of culture in his day was an act of God's common grace to produce more Christian schools, more Christian universities that basically would make Christians uh, be tested and challenged to be more Christian in the public sphere. Mm-hmm. And I just wonder if, you know, in the Lord's providence yeah. and his sovereignty over history, at this moment in history in American culture and the wider Western culture, uh, this up, uh, uptake and uh, rise in critical race theory is another moment of God's common grace to the church uh, where he's encouraging the church to be the church which is not to embrace a theory like this or to find a compromise with a theory like this, but as you say, to destroy the arguments of a theory like this, but also provide a better story about race, a better articulation of it in the Lord Jesus. The second and last Adam, uh, our elder brother, in which uh, family, color of skin just doesn't matter. Uh, What matters is uh, your union with Christ. And in that sense, uh, we often talk about uh, water is thicker than blood. When it comes to the church, water is thicker than blood. Your baptism into the name of the Father, the Son, of the Holy Spirit is what unites you to Christ. It's what unites you to other Christians. And so it doesn't really matter what color your skin is uh, in that regard. So I think it's another moment in church history that God is using to sift the church, Right. and to help us recover the true gospel and a true understanding of the scriptures. I think it was the same with Darwinian evolution. Uh, uh, and you know from my lectures in OTHD1 here at Westminster, I um, tackled various aspects of Darwinian evolution. Uh, I, I'm with Malcolm Muggeridge, who said that uh, Darwinian evolution will turn out to be one of the great jokes of human history. And, and, I, you know, it has been a theory that's been crumbling for years and yet still in the mainstream media it's just assumed that that's what science is and it's a fact. Uh, but Darwinian evolution is, as you mentioned, it's connected to critical race theory. Yes. And uh, Darwin viewed the species of the human race, some evolving faster than others, some more advanced than others, such that you had in the uh, 19th century, you know, Aboriginals from Australia brought from Australia and paraded in cages uh, around London to show people what the what the ape man or ape woman looked like. You know, here's a living species of this half-breed. And uh, the, the people and philosophers and uh, worldview, uh, the people who hold these worldviews are really the one who have given rise to the racism in our culture. So I always find it ironic that Christians who claim to be uh, anti-racist and opposed to racism, but also hold the theistic evolutionist views of the early chapters of Genesis. Ironically, are holding to a view that actually is fueling the racism in our in our culture. You know,
0: excellent point, Johnny. And Darwinian evolution with these social constructs and these caste categories of white and black use these categories to worship a concept of whiteness and to despise a concept of blackness. Mm. And isn't it interesting that with critical race theory it does the same thing but flips it with partiality? It, this concept of whiteness is despised now. White people mm. are, are often despised and worships blackness and uses partiality as Darwinian evolution. And so you're right. They both come from the same source, uh, from the serpent's mouth, Mm. ultimately. And we have the Lord's way. In his unfolding story, and isn't it glorious, that the gospel really tells the Lord's story of the one created human race, fallen in Adam, dispersed into tribes, tongues, and nations, and regathered in Christ, for his one chosen race. And at the throne of the son of man in Daniel seven, Jesus receives this kingdom in order that the nations, peoples and languages will worship him. Mm. He gets the glory Mm. as the redeemer and as the gatherer and as the sovereign king of his one new humanity who maintain our various distinctions, but those distinctions are secondary so our primary identity in our, of our union with Christ. I just wanted to read Psalm 87. Notice how the Lord uses these, the terminology. There's only seven verses, so it goes quick. Notice how the Lord uses the various nations terminology, doesn't mention skin color, to talk about the new birth in the kingdom of God, uh, the heavenly Jerusalem, the heavenly Zion. Glorious things of you are spoken, O city of God. Among those who know me, I mention Rahab, referring to Egypt, and Babylon. Behold, Philistia entire Tyre with Cush. Isn't it interesting? All these people groups come from Ham, Shem, and Japheth, Israel also in particular. This one was born there, they say. And of Zion, it shall be said, this one and that one were born in her, because the Most High Himself will establish her. The Lord records as he registers the people's This one was born there. The plural peoples, the Amim, becomes the singular Am, the singular people Mm. in Christ. I am your God. You are my people. That's our heritage.
1: Yeah, it's a a beautiful picture. And you see God from the earliest uh, moments in redemptive history starting to draw people in who are outside the Israel uh, nation. You see Asenath, Joseph's wife, Egyptian. She's brought in. You've seen Rahab. A Canaanite, who's brought in Ruth, a Moabite, yeah. a half-breed, she's brought in, and so Jesus is from mixed blood. He he is from mixed ethnicity. His his royal line is actually a mixed line, which is Great what point. Matthew tries to make the point in chapter one. Excellent, Tim. I could we could keep talking about this yes. uh, for many more uh, minutes and even hours. Uh, just to close things, can you point? Listeners, in the direction of some good resources, a book that you would recommend, uh, some of your own material, is it available online?
0: Absolutely. Um, So what we discussed today, Johnny, a lot of it um, is we have unpacked what an article I wrote in the new Westminster magazine uh, called Thinking Biblically About Race. Um, And so you can find that on Timothy com. There's a three-part sermon series, Thinking Biblically About Race one created human race, one fallen human race, and one chosen redeemed race in Christ. Um, I'm very grateful for Vodi Bakum and his book, Fault Lines, extremely helpful for defining, uh, for allowing the critical race theorists to lay their cards on the table um, and to expose it and show it as an unbiblical philosophy, not according to Christ, a worldview that believers should not hold. And so I would, really encourage people, uh, to check that out. And also if you are seeking pastoral training, I'd encourage you to come to Westminster because you can sit in Johnny's courses where he will take you to the text of scripture, whether it's Genesis two or, uh, in, um, unfolding forward and show the Lord's story of his new humanity in Christ. So.
1: Yeah, that's great. And uh, for those listening, we have a giveaway uh, from this episode. Uh, We're giving away 10 sets of the four acrostic books. 10 sets of the four acrostic books. The Acrostic of God, the Acrostic of Jesus, Acrostic of Salvation, and the fourth one coming out in the spring, the Acrostic of Scripture. 10 sets of four being given away. You can enter at wtsbooks.com forward slash afterward. That's wtsbooks.com forward slash afterward. Be sure not to miss out on that great giveaway. Tim, it's been great to have you on the show. Thanks very much for coming and uh, wish you and Floriana and your tribe uh, every blessing as uh, Christmas approaches and into the new year of 2023.
0: Thank you so much, Johnny.